Amen. I want to talk to you about this topic tonight, and um, it, it's something that's come up in conversations probably in the last three months, uh, several times, and so I thought, well, I'll go ahead and discuss it because uh, I've been kind of talking about it here and there, um, uh, and so I thought I would go ahead and share it, and it's the doctrine of things, the doctrine of things. And I don't have a study guide or notes, but those of you that take notes probably brought a notebook anyway. Those of you that don't take notes would probably just use the study guide to make a grocery list anyway. So I think we'll be all right without a guide. <laughs> I'd like to draw your attention in the word of the Lord in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You got it? 2 Corinthians Chapter 5. Now, I like to bring this right here because the batteries never run out, so uh, it's, it's good to kind of have a backup copy. The other th reason why I like to bring this to Bible study is I personally, I know it's a me thing, but I enjoy highlighting and underlining the texts in you know, I, that's, that, I love doing that, and I love Bible studying. Pastor will say something or be teaching on something, and I'll be highlighting and scribbling and making notes. And so, and, and so I do have a Bible. So those of you who have a Bible, I get it. And it, it's hard for me because anytime I try to highlight my phone, it just wipes off so quickly. So I don't know, maybe Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature, old, old, old things. Everyone say things. Okay, so if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's our job to try to help people get introduced to this one that will bring them out of a fallen state, out of a, a state of separation from God, and be reconciled to a good and healthy relationship with God. Um, and then, of course, the scripture does say, he that winneth souls is wise, and that's really what it's focused on. Our mission, and, and what pastor has been teaching the last several months is, as I am consumed with my relationship with Jesus Christ, it radiates into the other aspects of my life. As the Lord touches and moves and does stuff for me, I, I can't keep it to myself. It shows up in other places. What is that? That's the things in my life changing and the ministry of reconciliation in action. So we're talking about the doctrine of things. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and 
where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what is this verse talking about? Something happens when I start to walk with God. My values, my priorities change. If you will, things change when I start to walk with God. I'm not valuing the partying like I used to value. I'm not valuing the entertainment that I used to value. My treasure, maybe I was pouring myself into my retirement plan or pouring myself and my resources into a vacation property or whatever the case might be. When I come to start walking with the Lord, my shift is upon things that are above. My shift is upon things that are heavenly. Things change in my life. And the scripture admonishes us it's subtle in this particular passage, but it admonishes us to approach this with intention. It says to lay, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth. So you have to make a choice. Am I going to invest my time, my talent, my resources, my energy, my skill into something that's temporary or am I going to invest my time, my talent, my treasure, my skill, etc., into something that is eternal? We have to make a choice. It's, it's intention. You are not going to accidentally grow in God. I'll take that even a step further. You're not going to accidentally make heaven your home for eternity. It requires intention and focus. Lay not up for yourself treasure. So you have to choose to not invest in the temporary. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You have to choose to invest in things that are eternal. It's a conscious decision. The doctrine of things. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such, such were, such were some of you. But you have been washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Something happened when I converted to follow Jesus Christ. I did not suddenly become perfect. But things changed because I began to focus on things that are external to me. And more particularly, I focused on things that are divine. I, know I stopped focusing on the pleasure of the flesh. I stopped focusing on satisfying my pride. I stopped focusing on things that were temporary. And I began to put my affection and my thoughts upon things that are eternal, 
I was. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. To me, that's a powerful thing to be able to have a testimony of where we came from. God did not save me in my sin. He saved me from my sin. He he did not just build me a comfortable pig pen to enjoy the wallowing in my misery and my rebellion and my lusts and my pride. But he brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. Things changed when I decided to follow Jesus Christ. So I cannot keep doing the things that I used to do because there's been a transformation. A change happened to me. It's a change spiritually, but it's also a change temporally because the things that I value shift a little bit. Amen. There's been a change. So we are defined by the work of the cross. We are defined by the work of the cross. You and I are defined by blood that was innocent, that was shed. Not only are we defined because it was shed, but we are defined by the fact that it has been applied to our life. Mm. The blood is applied when I repent of my sins. The blood is applied when I'm baptized in Jesus' name. The blood is applied when I receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not just the blood of any old sacrifice, but I'm talking about the great I am, the great creator who became a savior, my savior. That blood, that precious blood, that spotless blood touched my life. And the moment that he touched me, things changed. I don't walk like I used to walk, the songwriter penned. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't give like I used to give. What am I saying? My values change. My priorities change. Suddenly, I'm willing to sacrifice where I was selfish before because things changed. I'm defined. You're defined. We are defined by the work of the cross. And particularly, when I yield to that work in my life. God's at work. God's at work. Powerful. But he's at work in my life. The question is, am I yielded to what he's trying to do? Or or have I grown so far and I think I'm good enough where I'm at? Is he still working? Is, Is he still changing things in my life? Is he still revealing things about me and my future? Is he still shining the spotlight of areas of my life that don't please him? Is he still working to call me to greater things? Glory to glory, the the apostle Paul would say. So there's some things that change. We're talking about the doctrine of things. The, the, The first thing I want to talk about is there's a contrast, a difference of boundaries. The line of demarcation has changed. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. 
all things are lawful to me. But that's not the point. The question is not, is this allowed? Is this, am I going to get, am I going to go to hell if I do this? He says, all things are lawful. But there's been a change. There's been a change. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I'm not going to be brought under the power of any. What's he saying is my there's got to be a shift. There's got to be a change. My focus has to be transformed by the power of God. When Jesus touches me, it's no longer do I follow the letters and the rules, but do I follow the heart of what the law is trying to produce in my life. All things are lawful, but that's not the question. The question is, is this thing expedient? Let me put it this way, because most of us don't really speak King James very well. Is this thing, whatever it is, something you're putting your time into, something you're putting your energy into, something you're putting your resources into, is this thing drawing me closer? Or is this thing distracting me? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard question sometimes to be honest about. But, but it, there's no, no Bible that says I can't do this. Well, that, well, wait, hang on a minute. Time out. That's not the question. Paul said all things are lawful. It's not a question of whether this individual thing is legal or, or not legal, of, with the law or against the law. You're asking the wrong question. The question is, will this thing draw me closer to God or will this thing distract me from drawing closer to God? That is the critical question, the doctrine of things. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The question is not, well, can I do this? Will God cover it or his grace cover it? We're asking the wrong question if that's what we're asking. I want to restate it another way too. Is if I'm looking at somebody else's life through the lens of I can't do that, why can they do that? I'm asking the wrong question. My focus is in the wrong place. I'm not trying to run this race compared to anybody else. My target is Jesus Christ. When I can walk like he walked and talk like he talked and focus on the mission like he focused on the mission, maybe then I would have room to look somewhere else. But man, the first time I look anywhere other than Jesus Christ, that's when I start to sink in the sea that he's called me to walk on. Doctrine of things, boundaries change, lines change. Second Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. So we're a part of the process of cleansing. We're a part of the process of separation. Let me cleanse myself. Let me cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. The holiness is that I've been called to something beyond myself. He said, you're going to be holy because I'm holy. I'm calling you to something beyond your ability. I'm not holy because of how I live, how I act, what I say, what I don't say. I'm holy because he said I'm holy. 
And when I respond in faith to what he said, my life then follows in line with what he's declared. But I'm a part of the process because he says perfecting holiness. He's talking about me becoming more like God, maybe reflecting more accurately his nature, his characteristics. How do I do that? I have to cleanse myself from the filthiness of the flesh and the filthiness of the spirit. And that's not talking about the Holy Ghost spirit. That's talking about the carnal spirit, my human spirit, my pride. Maybe you all don't have that issue sometimes, but I do. My, my motives, my will. Man, Gethsemane is a tough place to live sometimes. You know, Lord asks you to do something. I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to do this, man. Really? I, you mean I got to do this? Well, what about them? Because you imagine if Jesus had that conversation, Brother Dale. Well, how come I got to go through this? They don't got to go through this. He didn't want to drink the cup, but what, what, are we, what am I trying to communicate to you? That this place called Gethsemane is a place that I've got to constantly sacrifice my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It's a surrender of things. The setting of boundaries is a circumspect activity that happens both corporately and individually. That's a... That's a, that's a that's one way of saying that the church does have standards, but I also need to have personal convictions. Amen. And on that note, I will just say it's not my job to set the church standards. It's my job to yield and to follow and to submit and to surrender, and my job to prayerfully seek God, and he sets standards in my life, maybe even beyond what the church has. And that's good, that's healthy, and that's, that's good. The thing to remember about boundaries in the life of a believer is that the Word of God, so its principles, its precepts, its teachings, its doctrines, the Word of God, and spiritual authority in my life, they're the primary instruments of setting boundaries. I don't run around chasing opinions. I don't run around doing all, any of that kind of stuff. But what does the Bible say? And in this case, particularly, what does my pastor say? He, maybe he won't come right out and say, you're going to go to hell if you do that. But maybe instead, maybe what he'll say is, you know what? Why don't we pray about it and think about going in this direction? Is this thing, is this thing drawing me closer to God or is this thing pulling me from God? Another contrast that we have is a contrast of focus. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Brethren... Verse 13, <clears throat> excuse me. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing forward to things that are before me. The things that have happened in my past serve as a backdrop of my present situation. My, the things that have happened in my past are the testimony of God's power, his provision, his forgiveness, his miracle working. That's my past. God has either brought me out of something, God has brought me through something, God has delivered some way, somehow, blessed me some way, somehow. That's my past. I don't reach for the past. I reach for the future. 
Amen. Jesus Christ, the same. That's one of my favorite adjectives about him. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. That's why the testimony of our past are powerful. Because if he did it then, he'll do it now. And if he's going to do it now, he'll keep doing it in the future. Until he comes and there's no need for him to intervene in the effects and the cares of man. He will keep delivering, keep saving, keep healing, keep providing, keep working his miracle working power. But I don't focus my attention. Oh, I remember when. I'm thankful for the win, but God wants to do a new thing now. I'm thankful for yesterday's revival, but this is a new generation and a new day, and God is just as powerful now as he's ever been. So I'm reaching toward those things which are before. The power of God to deliver now. The power of God to break addictions and shatter the shackles and chains that people find themselves in. I'm reaching towards those things in the future, believing God's going to keep doing what he's always done. What has he always done? He's always been in the business of delivering. He's always been in the business of saving. He's always been in the business of providing. He doesn't just suddenly change and shift. He's the same, and he's going to keep saving and delivering and providing So as long as there is a need, there's a God who will deliver. So I'm reaching forward, not lamenting, oh, I don't know, that was yesterday. No, I believe God is still doing a mighty work. Those things which are before. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Something transformative happens when I get touched by the presence and the power of God. He changes things. He washes away the things of that stain and the things that taint and the things that have been wounded and he breathes into our lives a new thing and a new power and a new creation. All things are made new. What does that tell me? If I've messed up all my opportunities from yesterday, he's going to make new opportunities today. He's a God of new beginnings and he's a God of fresh stars. Why would I hold on to and lament my failures from my past when God wants to show up in my present and make all things new. Open new doors and new opportunities because things change. We're similar to Abraham. Namely, we're looking for a city. We're looking for a place whose builder and maker is God. Why would I want to focus on the constructions and the machinations of humanity? going to fail and fade. The best that man can produce is filthy rags, wood, hay, and stubble. Why would I invest my resources, the precious commodity of my time? I've only got a limited supply of time. Why would I invest my time and my energy and my emotional thinking in things that are so temporary and so fading? O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light 
in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. O oh soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior and a life evermore and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the lights of his glory and grace. Things change. There's also a contrast of desire. Humanity is created with three desires. And they have it would seem, maybe I could put it this way, different volume settings in different people. But every individual that is born has a desire for pleasure, a desire for possessions, and a desire for power. But something happens when Jesus touches me. The desire doesn't change, but things do change. What did, what did the Apostle Paul write in Colossians chapter 3 and 2? Set your affections, the things you love and prioritize and value. Set your affections on things above, not on things on earth. Something happens. So I have a choice. I have these three desires because I'm living and breathing. I've got red blood pumping through my veins. I've got a desire for pleasure, a desire for, for possessions, and a desire for power. That, that's, that's, that's the human condition. That's the way that we are made. It's interesting if you take a look at it because you look at Genesis. We don't have time to really go there. But the, they, 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 they saw the fruit in, in Genesis and that it was pleasant to the eyes and, and desirable to make one wise and... All three of these desires, the adversary hit. So what am I trying to say? He provides, and our flesh and our carnality provides for us a, a, a counterfeit or an unhealthy option instead of something that's going to help us draw closer to the Lord. I mean, I could, I, I could fill my stomach with chocolate and, and sugar and, and cakes and and, and I, I could do that, but that's not going to satisfy things. It's not a healthy option. Or I could fill myself with, with foods that are healthy, that provide me the protein and the, the right amount of fat content, the right amount of carbohydrates that I need and so forth, the right amount of fiber. I, I have to fill my stomach because I'm human. That's the human condition. But am I going to fill it with something that's going to make me weak and anemic? Or am I going to fill it with something that's going to make me strong? Similarly, in our walk with God, we have a choice. Am I going to fill my life with things that satisfy the temporary, the flesh, 
Or am I going to fill my life with things that are going to satisfy the spiritual? Am I going to fill my life with things that will weaken my walk with God, make me spiritually anemic, spiritually fickle, tossed about with every wind of doctrine the Apostle Paul warned about? Or am I going to ingest things into my spirit? Am I going to fulfill these desires in a way that helps me strong? Be strong. and helps me grow in my understanding and application of the Word of God. So here's the counterfeit. The counterfeit, the unhealthy option is found in 1 John chapter 2. I have three desires. The desire for pleasure, the desire for possessions, and the desire for power. But John writes in verse 15 of his, the second chapter of that first epistle, he says, Love not the world. You with me? Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That lets me know that I can only choose one priority. Jesus would say, no man can serve two masters. He's going to love one and hate the other, or he's going to do the other side of the coin in the relationship and love the other and hate the one. You can't, serve, you can't serve two. can't serve God and mammon. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now notice, pay attention right here. We've got the lust of the flesh. We've got the lust of the eyes. And we've got the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but... He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So I have this desire, this God-given natural desire, not carnal, but natural, natural desire for pleasure. First John lets me know that the, the counterfeit way or the unhealthy way to satisfy that desire is through the lust of the flesh. Possession, similarly, it's the lust of the eyes. I see pastor has a kayak. All of a sudden, I want a kayak. Maybe I'm on a job with Brother Alvy, and I see he's got a new drywall pan. And I, you know what? I, I think I can, I can pay a few bucks and get myself a new drywall pan. What is that? That's less, less of the eyes. a desire for possessions, and that easily turns into envy. Or it's cousin jealousy where I'm going to stab you if you try to take my stuff. Huh. I have this natural desire for power, the pride of life. I got to get myself into a position where I can exercise authority over other people and tell everybody else what to do. Narcissists beware. <laughs> Lord have mercy. The old preacher would say it might be tight, but it's right. So that's the unhealthy way. That's the unhealthy way of satisfying these desires, these God-given desires. It is not God's will for you to satisfy your desire for pleasure through the lusts of the flesh. That's not God's will. There is a healthy way to meet the need for pleasure. There's a healthy way to meet the need for power and meet the need for possession. There's a healthy way. There's a healthy balance. There's a healthy way for me to keep my focus on the things that are going to be from above and not the things that are on the earth. And that's found in, 
in the book of Matthew chapter 6. We don't have time to read the whole verse, the whole, the whole chapter, I should say. But Matthew chapter 6 talks to us a little bit. Jesus is preaching. He says, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand is doing. When you are giving, when you're going to give of your resources, that's God's way to manage my desire for possessions. I, I get it. It's counterintuitive, right? We, we think that if we're talking about stuff, I need to hang on to it and grow and build bigger barns and all that stuff, right? But that's not the scriptural principle. The scriptural principle is for me to understand that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of thereof. That all that I have is his anyway. And when I give alms, when I give as unto the Lord, that releases him to bless me more. He also goes on and he says in verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, And when thou prayest, Prayer is not a religious duty that I have to check off my spiritual checklist so I can get a star at the end of the week. Prayer is an ultimate statement that I don't have the power, but I serve the one who does. Mm. There's power in prayer. Imagine mere humanity with all of its flaws and all of its issues with the authority through submission in the spirit through prayer. We have the authority to cast out devils. We have the authority to command angels. We, whatsoever things we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What is that? That's power. That's power. That's power, but it's not power that's going to rot and corrupt. It's power that's going to edify and strengthen and accomplish the purpose of God. And when I get done praying and exercising supernatural power because of my faith in this God that saved me, I am closer to him. I am stronger than I was before. I have more faith and my energy buckets are full. I'm not weary and I'm not wore out because I've tapped into a power that's greater than I. The, the saying says that absolute power corrupts absolutely. So the pinnacle of human power corrupts and tears down. But the pinnacle of spiritual power builds up. Mm. And maybe you don't even know what you're going through this week, but God took a servant on the other side of the planet and put a seed in their heart and they're praying and interceding and exercising a power they don't even understand and your life is protected and shielded because somebody had the audacity to walk in a power that wasn't their own. That's transforming power. Things change when I start to serve the Lord. When I start to serve the Lord, I can take my resources and I can put them into something that's going to last longer than me. Something that's bigger than me. When I serve the Lord, it's not about positions or authority or who's under my control. It's not about control. 
when I serve the Lord, it has nothing to do with control. I wish somebody would let me just talk to them for a minute. Serving God is not about control. It's about submission. When I'm doing this thing called Christianity right, I'm saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm submitted to the purpose of God and the plan of God. Even if it costs me my very breath, God, you're the one that's in control. I'm not in control. Let me ask you this. What works out better? When you're in control or when you yield control to God? I've been phrased it this way. If you were to gauge your stress level on a scale of 1 to 10, and you're trying to maintain control, what's that stress level for you? Maybe a 12 on a scale of 1 to 10? The same situation, the same scenario, but you're praying. And you're reaching out to a supernatural power. What's your stress level? It goes from that 9 and 10, and it drops down to the 1 or 2. You're concerned about the situation because you don't know how it's going to work out. But you have a trust in a God that knows the way and has prepared it before you. Why? Because you've tapped into a power, the ultimate power that's greater than you. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So I, I, if I have this desire... For possessions, I give to the Lord. Why is that powerful? Because as I give, the Lord causes men to give unto me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's a scriptural principle. I don't give to get. That's not the point. The point is everything I've got is his anyway. So if he's asking me to give to somebody or help somebody or support a ministry, I'm giving that thing. And he's always, he's never one time ever failed me. He's never one time ever failed me. I've been through seasons of devastating loss devastating loss where I did not know how I was going to keep my electric bill paid. But I had a track record of faithful giving. And I serve a God that's faithful. Oh my. I gave when it was hard to give. I gave when I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. I gave when I didn't know how I was going to feed my family. But I gave faithfully to the Lord. And not one time have I been late. Not one time have I missed a a responsibility. Why? Because I serve a God that's faithful. And if I trust him with my possessions and the things of this world, if I trust him with those things, he'll supply all my need according to his riches and glory. And he'll put me and posture me in a position that I can be a blessing to somebody else. Mm. Things, things, power. We do desire these things. But there's power in prayer. When I deny my power, my ability, and I lean upon his power, the ultimate source, when I deny my possession and my selfishness and I invest and lay up treasures in heaven. When, when, I, when I humble myself, what's the solution for the lust of the flesh? Then We didn't talk about that. So we think lust of the flesh. Most people think of uh, sexual lust. And that certainly is part of it. I'm not saying that it's not. 
But lust of the flesh is any carnal appetite that makes us feel good. Those Genesis-minded would understand that that could be satisfied with shopping, with anxiety, with a substance, whether it's alcohol or drugs or carbohydrates. Oh, boy. We, we, we have this desire for pleasure. We want to feel good. So what's the biblical solution? What's the healthy thing that I can do when I have that desire for pleasure? Matthew chapter 6 tells me that when I fast, don't do it like the heathen do it. Do it like a big old showboat. Look at me, I'm not eating. Ha, ha. I'm drawing closer to the Lord today. No, 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 I can't eat in fellowship with you because I'm drawing closer to God. Please, you have your reward is what Jesus would say. But when I fast, I need to anoint my head with oil, go about my business, but I need to fast. What is that? That's me denying my natural desire for pleasure and saying, you know what? Something is more important than making my flesh happy. <laughs> I, I, when I, I don't know how you all grew up, those of you that grew up in church or have come and walked through the Lord for any length of time, but man, to me, fasting was one of those checklist items. You had to fast. You had to pray. You had to read your Bible. Check, check, check. Woo, good week, get a star. Sometimes, Sister Laura, I even got a gold star. That scorekeeping mentality, that's not what this is about. This is about trying to push on. This is trying to, about what is really important to me. How do I draw closer to the Lord? Is, is, is pushing away from the table and replacing the time when I would satisfy a natural desire with doing something spiritual like praying. Listening to a sermon, listening to a Bible study, investing into something spiritual instead of something natural, carnal, that's going to make all the difference in my life. There are amazing studies on the power of fasting throughout Scripture for different purposes, spiritual breakthrough, personal miracles, and so forth in the Scripture. It's powerful. So the focus is not the desire. We all have those desires. The focus is, how am I trying to satisfy? How am I trying to manage those desires? And God's given us good things. The last thing I want to talk about very quickly um, is a contrast of duration. When everything is said and done, the only thing left is going to be God's word and the soul of man that followed him. We read it in 1 John. He said, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So duration. When I... When I decided to follow Jesus Christ. Yes, it felt good. It was wonderful to have my sins forgiven. It was wonderful to have a fresh start. When I decided to, to, to serve the Lord, heaven became a reality. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, and this word, yet once more, chapter 12, verse 27, and this word, Yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. 
as of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Something happens. There's, there's, there's a longevity to the things of God. I went through a season I mentioned earlier. It's happened a couple of times. One time in particular, such devastating loss and such devastating financial strain. I was, I was stressed. I, I was like just, just stressed. And pastors kind of talked about this condition a little bit where you don't even know what to pray. <laughs> Say so you're just so surrounded and bombarded. I didn't know what to, I was so so stressed. What happened? Everything was shaken free from my life. All the restraints and constraints and all the pressure. Things happen sometimes in our life that shake us to our foundation, that shake us to our core. And sometimes we'll be like, God, why? Or, or maybe better yet, it's prayed this way. Why me? I, I get it. <laughs> I prayed those prayers. But what I realized sometime after I had been through that, I'm thankful the Lord didn't call me to stay in that situation, but he's always a God that brings us through things. When I, when I look back over that time, Sister Chris, what I noticed, I had this word picture. I noticed that I was stable. It's like, I don't know if anyone ever has ever set a post in your yard. You dig the hole and you put the post in and you put some cement on it. But, but the trial, what it did to me, Brother Nate, is it shook me so that everything settled. And I knew, I, I'd heard the testimony, but I knew that if God brought me through that, there was nothing that I would ever face, that I'd ever be alone, I'd ever be abandoned. And I would, there'd never be anything that I would face that I could not make it through if I kept putting my trust in God. I didn't know it, but he knew the way that I was going to take. He knew the struggles I was going to face. He knew the lonely times I'd have to endure, but there was something solid because things got shaken from my life. When I choose to serve Jesus Christ and I choose to yield myself to him, it's enduring. He doesn't do anything halfway or he doesn't do anything temporary. But he, he works. He works towards perfection. He works towards completeness. He works towards maturity. I like what the missionary Jim Elliott wrote. He wrote, he is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. If I've got to surrender my will, I'll surrender my will. If I've got to give up some time, I'll give up my time. If I've got to give up some resources, I'm going to give up some resources. Why would I hang on to that? I'm not going to pack it in the coffin with me. It's not going to go with me from here to there. Mm. No. But if I invest in those things, if I lay up for myself treasures in heaven, I'm investing in something everlasting. I'm one bad year away from my stock portfolio tanking. I'm not saying don't invest, but I'm also saying it's, 
it's important to invest in something that's going to last a little longer than the U.S. economic condition. Hello, somebody. I could put my money in a safe or a tin can and hide it between my mattresses like my grandma used to do. But man, one, one, one bad spark in the electrical outlet. Hello, somebody. Why would I want to hoard and hang on to things that are not going to help me draw closer to God? God does not require of us to give everything we have in a literal sense where, well, here's, the, here's my shirt off my back and here's my money and here's, here's everything I've got. Here's my computer and here's my iPad. I'm just giving it all to the Lord. That's not what he requires. What he requires is a mindset that says, I'm more important than anything else. So you need to be willing to give. Maybe the giving is monetary. Maybe the giving is your time. Maybe the giving is pushing away from the table. Maybe setting your affection on things that are above is a willingness to sit down in the morning before you go to work and have devotion with your family. Maybe setting your affections on things that are above is being willing to be in the prayer room before service and touching the throne of God because you know that the power of God is the only thing that's going to make a difference that Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. Things. 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 The last contrast is my eternity. I can choose to focus on the here and now, but when I get to then and there, I'm not going to have anything to stand on. Or I can focus on the things that are eternal. What did that songwriter say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. When I shift my focus, Brother Dale, on the Lord, the song tells me what happens. The things of this world, the stress of my job, the pressures of my finances, my familial relationships, the things of this world. I'm not saying that they're completely unimportant, but I'm saying they're less important. The things of this world grow strangely dim Lord, do your work in me because I want to be what you've created me to be. That's your prayer tonight. Would you stand with me?